0: I'm Zarada Cordova, and you're listening to the Clash and Sabres Network. Here we go again. Chewing. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the
1: chosen one! Something
0: truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He's the man most well-known for selling Skeer's arm on the black market. It's...
1: Yeah. It's Drew. Hello.
0: What's going hey. on, man? How are you?
1: Uh, I had to think about who Skeer was for a minute. And I was like, wait a minute. That's not the... I, I got it confused with the guy from Andor.
0: Ah, yes. Skeen, skier. There's so many skis
1: There's got to be a way we can, like, you know, somebody's got to have a reference document that, you know, names that already exist and you're not allowed to have something that's X number of letters close to it or something.
0: It's like that, uh, the meme with all the the red string going across. You can't call oh, him yeah. sker because he's skeen. Yeah, no, it's, uh... <laughs> I mean, you would think in a galaxy where they just make up the names, you wouldn't run out of names, but, uh... Maybe. I, we've got more
1: than one people named Val, so that's weird.
0: Yeah, and spelled differently. Oh, really? I think I'm pretty
1: sure. Oh, no,
0: uh, Val from Solo is V A L, and Val in uh, Andor is V E L, if I remember that correctly. Oh, really? On, oh. Yeah. Okay. Do you watch?
1: Sure. Do you watch with the subtitles on? No, I just turned the volume up really loud.
0: Uh, okay. See, I I do both. So. <laughs> I, I really get to focus in, and like when I'm watching it, you know, when when Andor first comes out, it's early in the morning, so I have like my headphones on, so I can hear it really well, and it's
1: it's great. What time would you say you would turn it on normally the day it's released? Like what hour of the day is it? Just so people can get an idea of the insanity that runs so deep.
0: Oh, three o'clock
1: in the morning.
0: In the morning, yeah, three a.m. I mean, <laughs> That's absurd. I get up and make a cup of coffee and sit down Ugh. and And what I've started doing now is on Wednesdays I just watch it and on Thursdays I watch it again and take notes. So
1: Oh man.
0: It's it's honestly
1: a dream. It's a
0: good life. I'm not gonna lie. Like it's it's really hard to start your day with Star Wars and, and have a bad day.
1: I I could not convince myself to get up for a three o'clock showing of really just about anything anymore. That's it's been a long time. It, we, I think when we did the Force Awakens theatrical release was the last time I got up that early to watch something.
0: Uh, Rise of Skywalker. You did the whole marathon, right? Didn't that's you? when we
1: did Force Awakens. We did one through seven. Oh, that's right. Back that's to right. back to back to back. Okay. And it started at I think it was two forty five a.m. and it last, lasted until like ten o'clock at night. I think.
0: Oh, man, I love Star Wars, but I don't know if I could...
1: A lot of people sleeping through uh, Attack of the Clones. It's just factual. They were asleep. I can't say anything about it.
0: It's only because it's the longest. I Well, it's not the longest anymore, but it was at the time. Was it really? Yeah. uh, Is Revenge
1: of the Sith not longer than Attack of the Clones?
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure Attack of the Clones is a few minutes longer than Revenge of the Sith. All right, we were going to figure this out. And then... Uh, I believe it was Last Jedi that knocked it off the mantle.
1: Yeah, Last Jedi is the longest one. I feel pretty confident about that. Let's see what happens when I Google runtime.
0: Rise of Skywalker (laughs) just feels that long.
1: Yeah, Rise of Skywalker is like three or four days long. (laughs) Oh, uh, speaking of which, I did finally finish um, that book. Oh, Shadow of of the Skywalker 1.5 or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's done. If anyone would like to have my copy, I'd be willing to uh, donate it to a good cause. Yikes. (laughs) All right. It's definitely a book that I read, and I'm (laughs) glad you guys liked it. I'm glad there are people who enjoyed it. They just don't live in my house.
0: Did you not get, like, uh, Legends vibes from it?
1: Well, keep in mind, not all of Legends was worth remembering and, and was all that good, that's what really fair. Graded but. on me was like the the three or four times in a row. It's like we go to a place, we fail to accomplish our goal, like by mi- minutes or moments, and then we do it again, and then we do it again, and then we do it again. <laughs> like I, I just got it, it was very repetitive. It's like the story with. Are we are we allowed to talk about the book now? Because I I, I listen to you guys. Yeah, not Burn the sacred text, and that's kind of like my spoiler limit timeline.
0: Yeah, we're we're way past that.
1: All right, cool, cool, cool. The storyline with Luke and the uh, Sith,
0: the acolyte of the the, the acolyte
1: of the beyond, which still grates my nerves. Um,
0: why? Is it just because it's from aftermath? Uh, that's hundred percent why
1: it's one of my least favorite parts of that that particular series but yeah that's that's really why um i i don't enjoy the cultish things in in star wars it's a bit too much like i, I don't care for it i i wish we had been able to stick with the rule of two a whole lot stronger than we did because it's it just i don't like the whole church of the force thing either i don't like any of that stuff Non-force users worshiping the Force is very, very strange to me, and I can't quite nail down why. But I don't like it. No sir.
0: I think it adds a good bit to the story having like cult the cult aspect of it. I do think that like Disney has gone a little too much into the religious side of things like the actual structured religion side yeah. of things within their Star Wars storytelling and that's not i mean you know a knock on on anything or you know any certain groups or anything like that but it's just i liked it when the force was was more of just like the the energy and stuff and it wasn't given this kind of godlike status
1: yeah, I I I I don't like the deification of the force. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and it kind of I mean, as much as I do love those episodes, the Mortis trilogy, like, it really changed the way people interpret Star Wars, and I think that this is kind of a uh an aspect of it that has kind of grown out of that you know because you have you have these churches growing to worship you know the force and the, then you have this force manifest in these god-like beings
1: mm-hmm. it's just
0: all way too too close to a uh home i guess you could say but
1: yeah it's very awkward because it also requires like physical training to unlock a spiritual power yeah which is weird a little bit like I understand you know certain disciplines that can translate from the physical realm to the spiritual you know fasting you know um, physical acts of prayer and worship and whatnot um, can definitely tend towards a spiritual development but I, I, I just I feel like it's lazy in the Star Wars universe you know it's just like oh we we need more people to know about the forest let's just make up a cult and the word cult has such negative connotations that it doesn't really fit like
0: Yeah, like I I think using it for the Sith cult, you know, makes sense because you want them to to be bad.
1: But it's like almost derogatory at that point. Right. You know, and and it really, it boils down to me like when now the term Sith has been redefined from what it was 20, 30 years ago to being anyone on the dark side. Like, those two things are synonymous. Right. Whereas before, that was not necessarily true. You could be a dark side user and not technically a capital S Sith. You know, there were a species at one point. they were also just a practitioner of the dark side, but there are also dark side users who were not themselves Sith, much like there are light side users who were not themselves Jedi. Now, that that distinction and those delineations have been done away with. And now we have this ultra basic dichotomy of left and right. We have light and dark and, you know, Jedi versus Sith, And that's really it. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> we had some fun things going on before, but <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. It's just kind of the, the simplification and just like the like the tropiness of it kind of bothers me. And that's really, but back to the shadow of the Sith's book. I mean, that was the most interesting, fun part of the story was Luke's experience with that. That is what definitely struck me. Like you were saying before, the Legends vibe. Like that, the hunting aspect of like force artifacts. Yeah. And information. That was fun. That was cool. Because I felt like it was at least something new. I never really understood why Lando latched onto this family. I never, like, I feel like I missed something in that when are we first told Lando's hunting for his daughter? Is that in the movie? Or is that just, like, behind the scenes?
0: Uh, It was in the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary, I believe.
1: Oh. And... I bet it's in the novelization.
0: I want to say it's in the novelization, but I'm not 100% sure. I've only read it the one time. And I I did enjoy it. I think the uh, novelization adds a lot to... Yeah, things that are happening during the timeline of the film that they couldn't do um, on camera because of you know Carrie's passing and everything else sure. uh, and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, this this would yeah. be chronologically the first time that we learn about that. And my thing with it is, I took it as he was trying to help fix that family because he knew he couldn't. Oh yeah, fix his own. definitely.
1: I I certainly can see the parallel there. And he's trying to exercise the demons of his failure through trying to help somebody else through their impossibly difficult task as well. But I just feel like there's not enough resolution to that issue in this book because there can't be.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And that's kind of what the the issue with that book entirely is. We know where every single one of these things is going to end up. Well, with Luke's hunting or his tracking of the dark side user thing, we don't know. So that was more interesting. But we know for a fact where the little girl ends up. We know what happens to her parents. We know Lando doesn't find them. We know where Lando ends up. So they've got to end the story with him at a certain place doing a certain thing. And for some reason, a man who bounces around the galaxy for 25 years decides to just stop for six years. <laughs> or actually, it's longer than that. Because Rey is six in the book and she's 19 in Force Awakens. Yeah,
0: so 13 years
1: so and then plus one for the difference between force awakens slash last jedi into rise of skywalker you're telling me that lando calrissian a man who never sat in the same place for more than like six months at a time decided for 14 years to stay in a place he didn't know with no connection to for no reason other than he had no other leads to go on (laughs) jeez
0: yeah but i i it's not great dan I think it's supposed to show growth because he sees the acolyte. What was her name? Kiza. I think. Yeah, I, get-
1: I liked that character and her, their interaction together. The two of them. That was neat, and 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 I can see that they're, they're tr- kind of tracking that growth, but it's kind of got revenge of the Sith plotting or uh, pacing issues, where it's development for like eighty percent of the book, and then the last little bit. With, I think it's Keys. I think you might be right about that. On her little exile planet, for six months there they are together there in the quietness. And then within the last, like, I mean, what, five or six pages he decides to stay on Pasana?
0: Yeah. There was That was kind of my issue with the book. But also something that I felt was a strength of it in a weird way. Because... Hmm. It felt unsatisfying when I finished it. Like, the ending part in particular. It felt unsatisfying when I finished it. But I also kind of think that's the point. It's supposed to feel unsatisfying because the story's not over. So, like, it does both things. But my biggest struggle is which one do I feel like it does more and does that add or take away from Mm. the book? Because the first... We'll say 80, 90% of it, you know, I was enjoying the whole, like, this is just a, you know, fun adventure and everything. And obviously, you know, you're turning the pages going, this got to end somewhere. And right. just to get to the point where it actually did end, I was like, well, now I feel a little Do let you- down. But I think I'm supposed to because I care about all these characters. And I know that they're kind of stuck in, in a holding pattern until you know, the movie startup kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I felt unsatisfied with that. Do you think, this is from a very cynical point of view, do you think that there is a required page length that the publishing companies um, enforce on these kinds of books? Like, it has to be between 300 and 350 pages or something like that? Do you ever oh. get the feeling like it's just, either people are stretching ideas or they're crashing them down at the end? Like, they're edited yes. to down? Do you ever feel like they're just required to fit a certain page limit?
0: Yes, and that will be uh, included in our discussion later. So no,
1: there's... okay, spoileries. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, <laughs> I do. I think you know,
1: <sighs> it's hard because like I'm naturally cynical of that kind of thing. Like it's hard for me to you know turn off the the logistical side of my brain that says this is a you know a book printed on paper, card down from a tree, and somebody had to say you know how many pages is okay. The 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 flip the you know the subsection B of that particular thought is the other book that I'm talk I'm currently reading is a 1,008 pages long. So what is the difference between this 1,000 page tome and the I don't know 338 pages? I think Lord of the Sith is or uh, Shadow of oh, the Sith. Shadow of the Sith. See, it's gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to remember the name. <laughs> oh no! no. I, it's uh, not on purpose. I promise.
0: I don't know. I think, you know, that could play an aspect in certain books. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I, to me, Alphabet Squadron, the whole trilogy, you know, when we originally got it, it wasn't announced as a trilogy. True. And I think, you know, Alexander Freed was like, I can't fit this story into one book. And so it, he got to expand it out to three books. And it's like, okay, well, was all of this the one book? Or Hmm. because it doesn't it feels like it was an originally designed trilogy. So you have some aspects like that where it's clear they gave them more to write, you know, more pages, more books to write the story. And then you think about like Dark Disciple, you know, the first three fourths of that book is about probably the best Star Wars book that exists and then it just falls flat on its face in the last
1: quarter. Really? Okay.
0: It it does and it's like based off of uh, Clone Wars episodes that that weren't made and so I think there was more development towards the beginning because those stories were more fleshed out than Mm -hmm. the ones at the end but it did feel like, okay, we've just got to say where everybody ends up at the end of the book and the book needs to be done yeah you know and and so i i wonder if there is you know it's a good question is there a hard and fast rule of like if we say this many pages these is, this is how many pages you need to hit end right. of story or are they doing it based off of the story that the person is trying
1: to tell hard to say yeah. it Shout really is Shadow of the Sith, uh, for the record, is 465 pages long.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a big book.
1: It's a little... Yeah, it's larger than I remembered it being. I mean, Dark Disciple, by comparison, I think is... Bada, 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 I think it's like 336. Okay. So, so... I don't really know what that tells us, other than just like... I, I got the sinking suspicion that there is more that ooh, somebody wanted to do, but didn't. And I don't know... To whom the responsibility that would fall, and it's going to be something that changes from book to book, and person to person, and situation to situation. So it's not like, oh, Del Rey Publishing is censoring Star Wars writers or something like that. No, but, I
0: don't think so. I, I don't think it's it's that. I you know, all of these things at the end of the day are business decisions. You know, like,
1: exactly. That's the other thing you have to remember that they're there to make money.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean. There, there are a lot of Star Wars books that are, you know, both legends and canon that are a waste of paper. And mm. so when you, I think <laughs> when you get
1: so a- harsh. That might be the meanest thing you have ever said about a Star Wars book.
0: <laughs> look, look, I, Alexander Freed is an amazing writer. Oh man, I know what you're going to say. Battlefront, the original Battlefront novel-
1: It's not great.
0: Is an absolute- Dumpster fire piece of trash.
1: Oh, ouch burn. Guess he's not going to come on the podcast anymore.
0: Rogue one might be my second favorite star Wars novelization. And he wrote that he made rogue one, a better movie. He got me to care about fighter pilots and (laughs) like post original trilogy in alphabet squadron so like the guy is good at what he does but oh that that book was rough so anyways yeah i mean there's there's a lot of factors that go into it and it's just it's it's hard to tell because it's the decisions feel from an outside perspective so erratic where it's like okay this book you're you're getting an audio uh, format first and then we'll come out with the print later. yeah and then this one we're gonna come out with the print first and the audio later. and then you've got well, all of these we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like all of these books can be read individually, but actually you have to read them all. Mm, and it yeah, even gets down learn. to like going to a uh, you know Barnes and Noble and going, okay, well, why do they have two of these with the Legends banner print and one without the Legends banner print, and they're different sizes, and it's <laughs> oh, just... Oh,
1: don't get started on the printing sizes oh. of things, because, man, that has been... That Air to the Empire trilogy, that Essential Legends collection, just, oh, I'm really tempted to take, like, a file and just kind of shave down the taller book in the middle, because it's just, oh, it's annoying.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so, so it's different size. Internally, I'm sure that there is a reason behind that decision. Whether we would agree with it or not,
1: you, you, I'd like there. I'd like to believe that there was one, but the real world circumstances of the difficulty in printing and shipping and, and manufacturing stuff in the past two and a half years. You know, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that a lot of stuff has gone wrong. And no, no, no,
0: that's fair, but. This problem existed, no, I shouldn't say problem, because it's not necessarily a problem, but this, like, situation existed
1: pre-COVID. Oh, you mean, you're talking about, like, just the different dimensions of books overall?
0: Different dimensions of books and just the different, you know, kind of rules that it seems there are for different books with no connection. like. The 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 printing and shipping and all of that stuff is understandable for like pushing back releases and stuff like that. But it's not really understandable for why one book is, you know, a centimeter taller than the other two in the exact same trilogy that was printed at the exact same time.
1: That reads to me of, of like an error, you know, somewhere, you know, somebody forgot to carry the two or something when they're convert you know, they're converting from imperial to metric readings and then it's like a centimeter and a half off and you're like, Come on. Yeah, killing me, Smalls. Anyway, so.
0: well, I kind of, uh, kind of teased. Is what this we're what we're be.
1: here to talk about?
0: No, we are, we are, <laughs> we are, are going to be doing talking? this podcast.
1: We're going to be talking about some books,
0: uh, but they are going to be out. High Republic. Uh, we are going to do a best and butts of High Republic Phase One. We have not forgotten about Andor. Uh, we are doing kind of a rotating schedule, uh, covering Andor between Clashing Sabers and Sith Talk. So, uh, Sith Talk had their four through six uh coverage Mm -hmm. and we will be back to cover uh episodes seven through nine after that arc uh comes out so kind of going a little bit you know in the arc format like clone wars which should be a lot of fun but today we are going to talk about high republic through our best and butts format and uh this time brandon has some rules oh
1: snap we are the guardians of peace and justice. Beyond the stars is a near endless frontier. Our order was meant to shine its light in even the darkest corners of the galaxy. There, we found an evil that none of us had trained for that threatens all we know. For the survival of the Republic, The fate of all Jedi for control of the Force
0: itself. Just like the High Republic has made its return, we are also now making our return. Uh, We are back here on the Clashing Sabers podcast, and we are talking about phase one of the High Republic through our best and buts format. So we're each going to have three uh, buts where we talk about things (laughs) that we may not like, uh, had trouble with, think could have been improved, and then our three best highlights for uh, the High Republic. So... Drew, you always give yourself uh, some kind of rules, and I decided to follow suit this nice. time.
1: So, before Proud I get into
0: mine, what were your rules that you set for your list?
1: I had one very simple rule, and it was, we're not going to talk about Avar Chris as much as I would love to, because I feel like we've done that enough. You guys know my opinions on the best character in the entire series. That's all I'm going to say. That was the, that was it. Number one, not going to talk about it. She's in the penalty box for tonight. All right. All right. That was well, it. Because I feel like saying, everybody would know that'd be my number one, right? I'm like, that's not saying easy. we
0: won't talk about it. No, okay.
1: I will not affirmatively bring it up as my number one, two, or three best. How
0: about <laughs> <I? laughs> <laughs> All right. So for me, I was like, you know there's so many different things that you could focus on that mm-hmm. I wanted something that I wanted to list that showed the kind of my take on the high Republic and how I felt about the project as a whole through different aspects uh, you know, that are, are presented through story. So I said, all right, for each set, I'm going to have a book, a character and an event theme or idea.
1: Wow! And so okay. I came up
0: with those and then organized them. And uh, spoiler alert, they ended up in the same order. Oh,
1: interesting!
0: So my number oh, three is both one category. My number two is one category. Yeah, kind of just worked wow. out that way. So That's beautiful. Should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. I so Drew,
1: now I
0: will let you go first. We're gonna start with our butts. And I'm going to throw it to you to tell us, what is your number three?
1: Again, we're talking about a series that I, I've come to love. So finding nits to pick, um, we're going to take some small things and blow them entirely out of proportion. So don't think that I'm coming to burn these things down. It's just a matter of it is always fair to find the flaws and the things that are great in order to improve them even more, Right. If somebody were to listen to what we actually had to say and take it into account, then we would offer these as ways in which things could be made better over time. So, my number three there are so many Padawans in these stories, and there's so many <laughs> stories about Padawans. I'm so tired of kids and 12 year olds. I just, I, nope, I'm over. They're great. They're fine. They're fun. Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> I, 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 I don't need the say these. Same kind of coming of age stories like 87 different times with different characters and whatnot. They're great, they're fine, they're fun. I know that people love them. There are people out there who this is what they want to read, this is their comics, this is their books. That's great, that's fine. Please, I'm done. I i think we're good to go. You know what I'm saying? So,
0: you're saying you're not going to read the book Padawan? Is what you're
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No, I'm so I'm over it. I need I need (laughs) grownups. I need people who know what they're doing ish (laughs) people who have their driver's licenses. This
0: is part of like the challenge that I think High Republic has because Mm -hmm. they set themselves up to do an adult novel, a YA novel and a junior novel all released at the same basic time. Right. Right they're,
1: they're, They wanted to do this to hit like different audience members, I understand, and Star Wars is a kid stuff. It's kid stuff. I understand that. Like the classic trilogy, the prequels, even the sequel movies, all of it has this meant towards an, a younger generation, and that's fine. Like, that's great. And it should be. And so I'm not saying that kids are dumb and kids are bad. That wouldn't be very helpful, productive, or good anyway. But what I'm saying is, like, of the books that we've got, like if you think about phase one, you had roughly what nine? We'll put them in quotes. Books. So you're talking about your your adult novelizations, your what do you call it, middle grade, and your YA. young adult, yeah. young adult. And three of them are about adults, right? Essentially, six three. of them are
0: about six padawans. of them are about
1: padawans. That is a, a, a balance I don't enjoy. That's um, fair. Yeah. Again, it's just is. It, it, I, and it might just be the strength of the stories that focuses on the Masters and Knights is is so strong and how compelling that storyline between the three adult novels was in phase one. Um, it felt very good that it kicked off that way. It ended, though, with this, the, the Midnight Horizon book. Actually, technically, Edge of Balance Volume 2 is the last entry into phase one, which itself was, again, about Padawans. So I, I feel like we lost the bookend at the end where the fallen star really kind of ended the main, what I would have considered the main characters in phase one it ended their story, but it did in the phase. So you have this weird post script of like two more entries about these other characters. I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> this was phase one is, is about starlight beacon and starlight beacon is burned to the ground. So why do I care what happens on Corellia now? It was
0: very, I think let down part of anime. that, like uh, that, order had something to do with printing i do think that was if, if i remember correctly
1: I, mm. it's I been a long remember time because midnight horizon i think takes place roughly i'm trying to think in relation to the events in falling star does it occur chronologically after or like during i think it's at the same time
0: yeah it's at the same time but i do know i'm trying to think of what book it was there was a high republic book uh, one of the uh, middle grade novels that got pushed back uh, because of color printing, like the the style of printing that they were doing, could was only could only be done at some factory in China or something like that. And so they had the book ready and everything, but they couldn't print the book because they had the color pictures in the middle, and that was the factory okay. that was going to be doing. I think it was so.
1: Mission to Disaster was pushed back.
0: Maybe, maybe it was, and so I think I'm wondering if if Midnight Horizon... because yeah, you're totally right. It did feel weird to end it there. Yeah, like
1: it, it was very, very strange. But again, that's why like the, the the overemphasis on Padawans is is just not to my taste. And and again, I think the source of that is not a weakness in those characters or weakness in those storytelling. That's not what I'm saying. I think it's a It it doesn't rise to the occasion that the other storylines tell. That's really because we'll talk about more a little bit more about that in a little bit later.
0: Well, speaking of rising, uh, my number Mm -hmm. three is my book for the butts, and that is The Rising Storm. Uh, What? Yeah. And and I said this least
1: favorite book of the entire phase one?
0: It. It I wouldn't say it's my least favorite book of the entire phase one. I think it is not as good of a book as it could be. And the reason for that is it's almost 400 pages long and like half of it is just battle scenes at the Republic Fair. And so... (laughs) That's what I liked about it. Well, and if we're talking about, you know, meeting page lengths and stuff like that, like this Uh, would be one that I could think of like all right, they needed 50 more pages. So let's just add 50 more pages of battle. Right. Mm. And those are not, those are really great to me on screen. But it's not the same when you read it in a book because you have, or at least I do have trouble tracking where all these characters are for such a long span of time when they're constantly moving and you're reading it across days you know, weeks. And at some point, it's just like, I, I'm not trying to keep track of who's where anymore. And so you lose an aspect of the book. And so for me, the beginning of the book, really, really good. The end of the well, the whole book is good. Let me rephrase it. The good beginning, book. I really enjoyed. The end, I really enjoyed. The middle, I had a lot of trouble getting, getting through. Interesting. And, so, it's, it makes my list, not because it's number, like, my least favorite book. It's not even because it's bad. But it could have been so much better if we had more time focused on character development and relationship. Because the oh, stuff that they wild. put in there is amazing. Elzar using the Dark, great contribution. Stellan uh, and his transition into becoming, like, this icon for the Republic. The injuries to the Chancellor. Like, there's some really rock solid elements of the book that I felt were just kind of rushed because we wanted to get more battle scenes. in.
1: Oh man. I did not have that experience at all with that book. That's wild. I thought it was perfectly paced and developed where each section like had a kind of, reason to be there like i I feel like it was very good links in a chain where we went from one to three one two three four you know we went down the line but things changed enough between each line where you know i didn't feel like it was repetitive each one was a new challenge or a new problem that needed to be solved right you know there's the initial assault on the by the ships that the um the nile bring in so there's that, then there's the ground assault, there's the tear gas assault, there's the chancellor abduction, um, there's that whole you know, there's Elzar man riding on like a dragon or something weird yeah. or a dinosaur perhaps. That was all right. The one sentence I, I hated in that book was where it says and you know, it's Elzar Man on the back of a dinosaur, period space. Because of course, period, <laughs> end of chapter. Yeah. I was like, Stop. This is not Twitter don't do it. Yeah. (laughs) You can write better than that.
0: No, I mean, it's not that, like like I said, it's not that any particular part is bad. I just feel like we could have done what we did in such a long book in fewer pages. Or if Mm -hmm. we wanted to have it that long, we could have spent more time in the relationships between like the core characters, which is something we will talk about in a little yeah. while, so I'm going to say the old,
1: that the last section of that book, where because the, the the fight on or the battle of the Republic Fair ends at a certain point, and like you said, Stellan is cradling the potentially uh, dead body of the Chancellor. I'm pretty sure she survives, right? She does. Yeah. Okay. Good. Spoilers for a book, you know, a year and a half old. Um, but then they have that weird, like, Act Three and a Half, where they go and attack the nile secret base do you remember that part oh no i forgot about that part this this is a weird part of the like this is where they go back and they actually and like load and great storm tries to break out
0: oh yeah yeah yeah
1: and i was thinking about it and i was like it's it's kind of reminds me of the movie the dark knight where you have this whole movie about the joker right and then suddenly the, the Joker's issue is resolved, but then we have about another 25 minutes of Two-Face. You know, in that last 20 to 25 minutes, and for a number of years I was always like, I can't tell if this is the proper way to end it, like this is the best way to do it, or if this is just they had to have an extra villain in there and they didn't know what else to do, so they tacked it on at the end. Yeah. In the movie I feel like it works because it's kind of the resolution of the Joker's plan to take something pure and corrupt it entirely and it demonstrates that. In doing so, it actually corrupts Batman himself to becoming, you know, blah, 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 blah. I don't have the same resolution with that book, though. The book doesn't have the same thing. The book feels very much like we have to see Lodestorm turn to dust. (laughs) And see before the next... uh, It feels like before the next comic comes out is what it felt like. And they rushed that in there in order to make some of the comic series make sense.
0: Well, and... I feel like the Loden Great Storm storyline would have been better served if we didn't know he was alive. Because yes. if you're going to kill him in the end anyway, then and, and our emotion from that is supposed to come via Bell and the loss that he feels, why not sit us in the tension of him not knowing? You no, know? don't know, because
1: if, if, if that were the path to be taken, then I, I bet we would have been complaining that we didn't understand, that, that, that we would have felt rushed at that point. <laughs> like, no,
0: I, I feel like I, if I, he's saying, you know, I know he's alive, I can sense him kind of stuff, and we never actually spend any time with Loden... And then you get, you know, a short little while of Bell saves them. Everything's going to be great. Like, they're going to turn this around. And then dust. It's a lot. It, it has a greater impact. You know, like, that's part mm-hmm. of the reason. I don't know. Yeah, but that's part of the reason, like, Endgame worked so well. Was because the heroes won. And then they didn't. Like, everybody, like... Thanos had been essentially defeated and then was able to get the time stone to turn back time enough to beat the plant. So, like, we had victory, and then they literally took it away and crushed our spirits, and that's where the book left off, where the whole time it was like, all right, I'm rooting for them to you know, reunite, and then they reunite, and you just don't get any actual time of them being together. So it's like, why did I go on this whole emotional adventure Hmm. when it would have been better served for me to understand Belle's pain more and not be focused on the anticipation of them
1: reuniting? I don't know. I think it kind of—it would— to me, it would have to tie into the amount of time we have the opportunity to spend with those characters to understand their, the development of their relationship over time. We don't get a lot of that comparatively between Lod... L- Lodestone? Lod and storm. I'm not doing great with names tonight. I'm like 0 for 17. Um, Lod and Storm and our. we have them in the first book, In Light of the Jedi, Maybe a little bit in between, but then Rising Star is really the only other opportunity we get to see them spend time together. Whereas by comparison, your now like your 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 connection of Infinity War comes on the back of ten to twelve years worth of interdeveloped relationships between characters, and so we're used to seeing them rise, be challenged, fail, overcome. Like that's kind of. The general flow of those characters' um, arcs, and so we've seen that for each and every individual in that particular film. So when you get to the end of Infinity War, and all the good guys lose, it throws out this. It, it throws out your expect, or it, not. It throws out. That's probably not the appropriate way to describe it. But it it it, um, it really kind of shows you that the stakes are real, and the, that the characters when they are vulnerable their actions become much more interesting and dangerous because the danger is real, right? And so when we look back at phase one of the higher public, we don't have quite the same understanding of their invincibility. We They have not yet proven to us that they are invincible. In fact, much of Light of the Jedi shows us that they're not invincible. And so we should know, we should learn from that first entry that, you know, load in great storm is probably dead already. And then when we realize he's not, there's a question about what happens next, as opposed to your stereotypical Marvel movie, which you and I could probably write the outline for any particular upcoming film based on the formula that has worked in the past. But that formula just doesn't exist in the phase one at that point to me. So I feel like if they if they only, only, Develop Bell or Bell's point of view in Rising Star, and do not let us know what's happening to Loden at the same time. If you were to then Bell goes through the whole book believing he's still alive, and there's something he's he's just got to do something. He makes it all the way out there. He breaks him out of the jail, only to have him you know dust up, which is ironic given the Infinity War <laughs> idea. Um, I think it would feel cheap and mean, mean spirited. I feel like it would be an un, it would seem to be an unreasonable affliction onto Bell's character and it's it would be less about Loden escaping and trying to make it out and more about pushing Bell further and further from the light whereas as it is written in Rising Star now we we think that there might be a chance that they could be reunited and that his the eventual falling apart of that reuni- reuniting is devastating but not necessarily mean like it doesn't feel like it was to hurt bill you know what i mean does that make sense oh my talking to no one sorry i was muted oh, okay
0: no it it absolutely makes sense and i think it's just you know two different ways to execute a story and Certainly. i think honestly a lot of this could change when we, we go back to that time period Yeah, with buryaga Because if we have another situation where Bell, you know, somebody close to him seems dead, but he believes that they're alive and he has faith that they're still out there and doesn't give up on them. And then they die. That's going to become an issue. If, because it's going to be the same thing we already did. If Briaga is still alive and Bell is the only one that keeps the faith in it despite what happened with Loden dusting up right before his eyes, that's a different situation. So like
1: yeah, I can see what I I can understand what you're saying there. Um it makes sense. And we'll have to see like like you said once we get back into the this this core group of Jedi we've come to know and love. Um, what happens if we get any answers to that at all?
0: Yeah. All right. Hit us with your number two. Uh,
1: number two is a strange lack of merchandising for High Republic. Yes. Um, I don't really want to spend $45 to order a white T-shirt that has a tiny little gold logo on the left lapel. Um, that's not cool. I'd really like certain black series action figures of certain characters who hear the forces as a song, just whoever those might be. Um, even when we were in celebration, we, when we were at Disney, not an ounce of higher public stuff anywhere in galaxy's edge. Um, just kind of curious, like, I think it would be cool to have a neat little t-shirt or something. I mean, there's a lot of homemade stuff on like Etsy and whatnot, which is really, really cool. But I'm kind of surprised at the lack of, you know, licensed some things, especially when we're, you know, I I, I go back to the Black Series figures because, you know, I enjoy collecting most of those and my kids have gotten into uh, collecting and playing with those as well. There are 80 billion different clone trooper paint skins and 7,892 stormtrooper iterations well, we and and a hundred different you know video game characters who all look the same and troopers and individual characters and, and stuff, but not a one from a book. There's no book su- specific character that I can think of, the um, except for Jaina Solo, <laughs> whose figure was released maybe five or seven years ago, and I's about it.
0: And that was a fan vote one. That was it was. She yeah. won a
1: fan poll, so we wouldn't have that otherwise. There's like three or four different versions of Cad Bane, <laughs> who yeah. again I love, but I, the the black the merchandising stuff is just mind boggling to me. And just for like you know going through my list of what I have and what I don't have yet, um, I don't think that there's a Han Solo figure from The Empire Strikes Back yet. <laughs> Not really? in like the, not in like the box. There, there's like the archive edition of him in his like hoth parka.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. But
1: nothing in like his cloud city jacket. Nothing. Interesting. Yeah, it's a little disappointing because it's my favorite part of Han Solo is cloud city.
0: Well, I think with High Republic, we kind of got the feel that it was going to be shadows of the Empire meets New Jedi Order. Yeah,
1: you might be right
0: with a spin and. I, I don't know. It's hard r- trying to remember back that far to when they first like announced High Republic coming out. I don't feel like we ever got the word that we were going to be getting a whole bunch of merchandise. But right. all of the signs pointed towards it because you had this year's long initiative. Uh, they do like to make money. And you also had all of these and they continue to come out all of these, uh, concept art pieces and stuff that were coming out. That's like, all right, that's a perfect yeah. thing to use for a figure. So it is, it is kind of, you know, befuddling that it, they haven't done that yet. And especially when you're going to, like you said, you know, uh, traders, uh, the, what was it called? Traders outpost at, uh, mm-hmm. at galaxy's edge, you know, going there and not having anything um i mean there have been some like t-shirts that have come out and a couple hats but even still like you're saying they're not the classic things that go with star wars yeah. and, and and
1: not and it was like right at the very beginning and, and like maybe for up to the rising star because there are some that was like the posters of um come experience the, the fair, the galactic fair. Yeah. Like it was one of the, like one of the shirts had the posters for that. But I mean, that's been it. And yeah. again, real world implications cannot be overlooked in the fact that manufacturing isn't, doesn't look anything like it did three years ago. And so I'm, I can't say it makes no sense because there could have been massive plans in the work and then, you know, everyone got sick and the world shuts down. So it's kind of what I think would be nice is some transparency and to say, I don't know, would you rather have somebody come out and say, this is what we planned to do, but we couldn't do. And then you have the feelings of missing out or you don't get word of any plans that were canceled. And then you have this concern of, are they thinking enough about it? I don't know which of those two feels mm. worse to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on what the thing is. Like,
1: like, like how good of the thing we're missing out on is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I
1: yeah. don't know. It's hard to say. And that's kind of what, what what bothers me is the is the uncertainty and the unknown kind of thing. Like if I had, if there's a Star starwars.com post that says, "Here's the concept art for the 80 80- Eighteen different t-shirts we wanted to release this year, and here's the prototype mock-up of of the three main characters. You know, uh, she who shall not be named, uh, Stellan, and uh, Elzar Man. Here's their concept figures. I mean, that would have been amazing. It would be very sad that we don't have something like that. But I feel like the more we know about how far along the process of these de- decisions were before they fell apart. Would feel good now. I realize I just said that in light of everything we talked about the movies about how, <laughs> yeah, about how Lucasfilm has a horrible tracker of announcing things too early. So I mean, you, you, six to one half dozen to the other. Kind it's of thing.
0: just it's it's so odd because you like everything else around Star Wars, like all the other outlets of Star Wars, talk about High Republic. You've got it on YouTube. Like they do uh, videos that are then cut down to TikToks and stuff. Like the social media aspect is there. The website articles are there. The YouTube content is there. Like all of the stuff that goes around a major release is there, except for the thing that made Star Wars famous you know really at the at the end of the day like star wars got into you know the, the our bloodstream through the toys and stuff and so yeah. i as somebody who spends his life trying to get kids to read i would love if they walked into target and are like who's this cool jedi oh avar chris what Where? what movie is she from she's not from a movie she's from a book she's from a book pretty yeah. cool uh speaking of different. characters from a book Okay. My number two is my character.
1: Be very careful.
0: And it is not a Varkris. Okay, good. It I'm is Stellan Gios. Really? Yes. Okay. Right. Because he is coarse and irritating, <laughs> and he gets everywhere. It's it a little gross, dude. <laughs> no, he he just is so Mace Windu-ish. Oh,
1: why? you? Kn- mm like oh deep he just sigh.
0: he great deep terminers. sigh yeah yeah like look he he boots avar from being the head of starlight beacon that's not yeah. a cool move
1: it's not cool but it makes sense she's not there she's pursuing a personal vendetta i know but it's a, it's not a good decision but it's the right decision
0: doesn't mean i have to like it or him
1: Okay, he
0: he is he is the Mace Windu to Avar Chris's Anakin. Because
1: no, w- you stop that right there, young man.
0: He wants to follow protocol, whereas Avar wants to get
1: solutions.
0: Okay, tell me that's not Mace Windu and Anakin.
1: That's glossing over some significant other issues, but we'll let it go. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's...
1: Sure, sure. If we can boil all characters down to one particular thing, that would be fine. It would be a perfect analogy. Exactly. See?
0: (laughs) I just need you to have my laser focus. You get me. Ah, No. To me, he is the first domino in the the dogma of the Jedi taking over um, because he becomes the face of the Order and the fight against the Nile. And I just feel like, and, and some of this is me kind of predicting what's going to happen in what will be phase three, Um but he is going to be what people expect a Jedi to be, and they're going to have a very limited view of who he actually was and what he actually did. And he's oh, a character...
1: You think he'll be, like, martyred then?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh. And so... I don't I, I don't hate the character um, <laughs> like he he does his job um, he's I think he's supposed to kind of make us wary of like mm, he just seems too full of himself like he's he it, he spends a lot of the time acting like he has it all figured out and then in uh, in Fallen Star you know he does have a good arc in there where he figures out that he doesn't have it all figured out, and he's not sure he's supposed to be. And that, I love that part. I really do love that part. Uh, But it's just, the rest of the time was just so, I just wanted to be like, shake him, and will you get to this conclusion? Because we all know you're going to get there.
1: Just get there now. It's Uh, it's not his book yet. I know, I know. But, um... Avar gets the first book. Elzar Man got the second book, and Stellan GS is a pile of rocks now. So it's all good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and speaking of those three, uh, my biggest issue really when it comes to to Stellan is the love triangle um, situation between Elzar, Stellan, and Avar. Mm. And I'm uh, obviously like I'm using that term loosely because Very it's loosely. just alluded to, but you know. Avar is an interesting character because of how she relates to the Force, and how, for me, I think she's an uh, an analogy for the daughter. Speaking of, you know, Mortis. And oh, good point. Elzar, like she's even she's she's drawn that way and everything like that. So, and Elzar is interesting because of his struggles with the dark side that we get, and so those two characters on their own. I care about a lot. And so I care about their relationship together. Stellan, I just would never been able to get as invested in or care about as much, um, really one way or the other. Like, I don't love him. I don't hate him. And so I'm not invested in the love triangle because I don't care about all three of them. And so that aspect of the story, which I'm already inclined to not be a huge fan of because it's just so overplayed and tropish is it, it's just, it, it falls short. It's not able to do everything that I think they wanted to do with it of feeling this loss over him. Um, to me, he, he felt like an important one of the Jedi, but he felt like just another of the Jedi and not as Interesting. a, a character, like a, an a plus character in, in the stories that we got with him. And so kind of like rising storm made the list because of what I feel like it could have been, uh, Stellan is a character. I feel like I should have a lot more emotion about and I just, I I don't,
1: I think you have the appropriate level of emotion. I think you have what they were going for. Um, I think it's okay. I think it's kind of supposed to be like that think you're you're kind of supposed to feel a little bit cold to him because yeah. i think that's how the rest of the characters feel about him too like they they're so much more detached from him uh, compared to the other characters like elzar and avar will talk to each other and they can do their jobs but they also have like a personal relationship that they can address and talk about stelling can't talk about that with her um you know, the other, some of the supporting cast, you know, even, and the Padawans especially, they look up to him as more of this deified figure rather than just a dude doing his job. So you might be onto something about the way in which he is held up um, post mortem in kind of that martyr's position to say, we're striking revenge into the name of Stellan Geos. I can see that. I can see, a, you know, a giant plaque. On the side of the Jedi Temple that says, you know, here lies the bones of Stellangios and something weird like that. Wouldn't put it past him. But I, I don't know. I think, I don't, th- I do not think you are supposed to be like, oh, yes, this is a fascinating character upon whom I will place all of my hopes and dreams and I will follow their career with great interest. I don't think he's supposed to be that character. Um, that's just my opinion. Eh.
0: And, and he's like, dead. So. Well, but, but depending on how they handle that, you know, his post-mortem, you know, life could change this. It could, you know, we we got a lot about Dumbledore after Dumbledore died and it revolutionized, you know, the character and by, you know, revealing his backstory and how he had played into all the other things that had happened across the books. And so this... Although Stellan is done, I don't think his story is done, and okay. so uh, this could be one that I come back and and change my tune on, uh, you know, pretty quickly if they handle it in the right way going forward. But I like that idea that that maybe that's how you're supposed to feel mm-hmm. uh, towards him is kind of distant and like you can't get a a, a full read on him because I definitely felt that, but I felt like the inability for me to connect with him made it made me less invested in the love triangle aspect of things and kind of I I just kind of didn't care about the the relationship between the three I cared about the relationship between Avar and Elzar I cared about Elzar individually Avar individually but could just never get uh other combinations going and so I I felt a little bit let down by that but Let's go with that. your uh, your biggest butt
1: uh, again. And,
0: and you cannot must... lie.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not going to go any further with that because it's going to get me in trouble. Um, personal preference. The comics are a struggle, man. Um, they are. I, I am struggling with the comics, and I'm not even like. I know the first one like just came out for phase two, but the f- but for phase one it was very difficult to, and we talked about this briefly while we were in the midst of it, and even before Phase One started, we were all concerned with the level of involvement we would have to have with different media in order to properly understand the entirety of the story. Right? We were concerned that would we have to read every single book and every single comic and every single, you know, you know golden book or whatever that you know, ever whatever else there was available to understand the complete trajectory from beginning to end, and. Plus or minus, you kind of did. If you really wanted to understand what was happening, especially like what you said before in Fallen Star, where um, where Avar is removed as marshal of, of Starlight Beacon, it's kind of a, an assumed fact. Like, you already knew this happened. But the only way you would have known when that would happen is if you had read the comic that re- was released the month before the book was released. And for those of us who are not good at comics or can't keep on top of them, we were kind of hit out of left field with that. Yeah. Now, I was able... One of the things I did, I wasn't going to do every comic as it came out each month. That's just too much for my little brain to contain. I did ha- get the Omnibus releases as they, were, they came out, you know, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, which collected maybe six, seven issues at a time. That was a much more manageable way for me to take and digest that information so that I knew what was going on. Um, but it's already starting with Phase 2. Like, the first comic came out this week, and we're going to be behind. <laughs> um, the first book came out, which is fine. Um, path to deceit, path of path deceit of deceit, path of deceit. So the b- book one is out, and that's fine. I feel like the books should be kicking this off. I'm not sure what we're doing with the comics so early. like I just I, I don't feel like it is a media- and again, personal direction. I'm not good at this. But in order for me to get a full comprehensive understanding of what's going on with the storyline, I have to, I have to be involved in this part of it now. And that's a little frustrating. Now I have to do the same thing, wait for the different, you know, omnibus editions to be released so that we can go back and slowly pick up, but it's going to be six, seven months before I can finally go back and say, oh, this is what they were talking about. And in that time, we're going to get another like book and a half or something coming out. So... I wasn't wild about it before it started. I wasn't thrilled about it while we were in the middle of it. But I discovered something new that I wasn't wild about (laughs) in the midst of all this. And comic fans have known about this for years. Because I only recently discovered that variant covers are a thing. Yes. I did not know that until pretty recently that it was a regular practice to do. I know that when Marvel rebooted the, the Star Wars comic line, say... 2015, 2016, whenever like Star Wars issue one came out. I know it was a big celebration because it was the classic story coming back in a serialized comic form. And they had a lot of variant covers um, that were released. They were store specific, region specific, artist specific. uh, And I thought that was a pretty neat thing to do to kind of generate some interest and kind of get some attention. I did not realize that was a regularly scheduled practice. um, And I was a little shocked about that. So High Republic comes out, phase one goes through, but each issue has like three or four or five different variant covers. And I just, I'm struggling with that because I like the art, but there's no reason to have another issue of it. And even when, when you buy the collections, like the the three volumes that I was able to pick up, they have reproductions of all the variant covers in the back. Yeah. So you got to ask yourself, what are you doing? But so I hate to be cynical to the point where it's like a cash grab because I want the artists to be able to contribute and to do something. What I feel like would be more constructive is kind of like a coffee table book of artists' interpretations of things. Like why do we need to lock them behind region and store specific covers or even like we were at celebration and there were some celebration event specific covers to things no change to the inside content, no change to the story. It's simply just a different piece of art on a different eight by 11, you know, piece of paper or slightly smaller, whatever. You get my point.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I struggle
1: and- with that. Like it feels very mercenary when it comes to the comics, and especially when the comic is only like, if it's 40 pages long and inside the comic, I was noticing this cause I was reading the visions, um, one shot that just came out this mm-hmm. week or last week rather. Um, by the way, we're going to start celebrating uh, Visions Wednesdays Days from now on because there's no day of the week that starts with a V. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, Vision Wednesdays. Days. We're going to be doing this. Um, I'm. I hope that's going to be a fun little project. But in a 40 page long comic book, eight pages are advertisements for other Star Wars comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, oh. and now, guys, I. I feel like with,
0: when it comes to the comics, the timing of them and, and the way they have to release comics makes it kind of hard to line up with the book releases because you're releasing, you know, one issue a week for however many weeks that storyline goes. And so you can't just because of of how book publishing works, you can't center an entire like campaign around comics when you've got major book releases. So I think it it yeah. throws a wrench in the situation. My thing is, if you're going to have major events that play a significant role in the novel, you should have those events play out in the novel, even if they already played out in the comic. There's no Buy reason a, a that three. we can't have had the conversation where... Uh, uh, you know, Stellan Boots Avar from being the Marshal of Starlight Beacon in The Rising Storm. The book could have taken 20 pages to do that. And it Absolutely. would have been, it would have completely changed the book. Like you, you would have been so much more invested in that relationship and the kind of how it was on its last leg because they were losing trust in each other. Instead, I was like, Okay, and there's points, particularly in that and Fallen Star, the two that stand out the most to me, where I had moments where I was like, that was definitely talked about in the comic that I haven't read and don't know when I'll get to. You could see it. mm -hmm. It was
1: almost like there was a big red circle that says, like, click here for more information, and it would be a link that takes you to purchase the comic issue that explains it. Yeah,
0: yeah. So that was a problem. And that kind of leads into my number one, which is my... Uh, a theme, event, or idea uh, from the High Republic. And for me, it's the character development is too disparate. It's too hmm. spread out. And having to keep track of well over 20 important characters across nine books and the comics, like you're saying, it, and audio dramas. And everything else is just not sustainable. Um, And and particularly when there is other Star Wars content coming out. Like you just you don't have enough time to sit with these characters and, and you get invested in some of them. And it is it's kind of a pick and choose thing, which I know they wanted, but. It's good on the ones that you choose, but on all the other ones, you feel kind of let down um, by them. And so like when you get invested like you do with Vernestra, because you spend a lot of time with her across multiple books, Belle, you spend a lot of time with across multiple books, Elzar, like the ones that you really get to spend time with, you get invested in their journey, but Mm -hmm. that's four you know we'll say four or five characters probably per person so you've got another like at least 15 that you're supposed to be really invested in and you just you you can't you don't have the, the the authors don't have the page time to do it the readers don't have the time to do it across multiple books and so these books were expecting us i feel like to decide on who the main focal characters were across the whole phase rather than having a core group of three to five characters that are the focus of every book. And I know everybody's thinking like uh, Avar and Elzar and Stellan. Yes, they're supposed to be, but you can, the, the main character changes Based off every book and whatever combination of uh, masters and apprentices and knights and Padawans and all of that stuff that you have, it changes who the focal point of the book is. So I think it would have been better to have it more segmented. Keep everything essentially the same, but you have the, in the adult novels, you have three characters, three, maybe four characters that are completely focused on in the YA across all the YA novels, you have another group that's focused on. And then in the middle grade novels, you have a third group that's focused on. And then you actually have it segmented where people can choose what type of media they want to partake in to get a wider breadth of the high Republic hmm. without forcing people to go, I guess I'll catch up on that when it, the you know comic omnibus comes out in you know three months or whatever it may be and and we're already on to the next like we're already on to phase two and i haven't caught up on the comics in phase one like there's just it's it's not easy to keep up with and i know that's such like a it's such a stupid complaint like oh my god i have too much star wars to read when like younger me would like come back in time and just like slap me dude, this is what you wanted your whole life. And I'm like, I know, but it's hard to keep up with and keep track of all of these different characters across so many different platforms. You know, like Light of the Jedi, I'm like, all right, I am all in on Avar Chris. And then she gets pushed to the comics. I'm like, but but I don't like reading comics. Like, that's a problem. And so that frustrates me a lot. And I'm hoping that maybe killing off so many people in uh <laughs> fallen star is going to allow for that to happen in um phase 3 but even phase 2 you know without having really started reading it um in terms of like actually finishing a book or anything like that it feels like we're getting a whole bunch of new characters so I love having all these Jedi. I want all these Jedi and everything like that, but I feel like there were ways we could have had groups to focus on and had cool combinations to focus on, but also keep them in the certain type of media. And I don't think that's something necessarily to like look down on when a character is kept to like one medium. Like there are a lot of great characters that are just in animation. There's a lot of great characters that are just in live action, like Mandalorian. We will probably never see in a star Wars movie that doesn't take away from the impact he has on the story because he stays in his little neck of the woods, if you will. And so I think the same could have been done with, with high Republic and not have so many characters over so many different things.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to re- refrain judgment on that Okay. for a few minutes.
0: Okay. I mean, I,
1: un- I hear what you're saying. I understand. I'm going to buy you a notebook for Christmas. That's fair. A really nice pen.
0: I need to, I know there's like sheets out there that have all the characters and how they're connected and stuff. Get one of those and laminate it. No. Um, <laughs> like it, it, as you were saying in the beginning, like, trying to find stuff to legitimately like critique about high Republic is really hard because they've been doing a really good job. So let's go ahead and uh, get into our things that we like best about high Republic and drew, I will let you kick it off with your number three.
1: Okay. So we've talked a lot about the things that we like, um, in the past. So I will try to find some different things we could talk about a little bit. Uh, some more successful than others. Um, so my number three, um, I really liked the whole idea of starlight beacon. There's you don't cool, say something really cool about, um, space stations. Like I was really into skyhooks when that was a thing more common. And to have one here was really exciting. Um, I know it's not terribly surprising to you, is it? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I was really sad to go watch it go down in flames the way it did. Um, But we did call it also at the very beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Not like it was a terrible surprise. And I do hope that we get something similar in hopefully in phase three. Hopefully they come back to the same time period and hopefully we get something similarly exciting. I I like that new technology piece. It was something different we hadn't seen in a while. Something that hadn't been used in the Star Wars universe for a while. I mean... The opposite of this feeling would be, oh it's another death star. I was you know, just going to oh, say it's another like another super laser. Like I'm so tired of the same planet killing devices. This was a giant mechanical construct at least that didn't kill planets. In fact, a planet killed it. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it, it really is an inverse of the Death Star in so many ways. and yeah, so many Yeah, cool and I, ways. I like
1: that. I thought that was really neat. I thought it was interesting. I kind of w- hope we get at some point an opportunity to go back and tell more stories in it, with it, around it, kind of yeah. surrounding the idea, using it as a setting. Because um, I feel like we, we barely get introduced to it at the end of book one. We spend quite a bit of time in the comics there, at Starlight Beacon, and, and even in Fallen Star – or not Fallen Star – the, the second major book um, we just talked about. Rising it. Storm. Rising Storm. Um, we spent a little bit of time there. We spent a lot of time, obviously, and Falling Star uh, with it as we watch it plummet to the ocean below it. But I really feel like that was such an interesting part of the story that I'm going to miss it.
0: I really will. Yeah. Oh, and the idea of the people of the galaxy and the jedi living side by side you know in starlight Beacon. like it really was a testament to lena so bringing the galaxy together in a really cool way so i'm hoping in phase one or not phase one but phase two that's going before phase one that we get a lot of like not an easter egg foreshadow situations where we go oh that's that's going to connect yeah. with starlight later that's going to connect with this later because it's it's not far enough back where that wouldn't be plausible
1: um so well and we i i'm not convinced yet that the entirety of phase 2 will stay that far in the past like
0: no I, I i think it'll move pretty yeah. rapidly up till
1: I Uh, hope that I hope that we get back up pretty quickly because, otherwise, we better have some serious adventuring you know, you got to make it worth it to do 150 years back. you got to really make sure it's worth doing that in order to uh, bring the story back. Again, we're not promised we're going to get the story brought back in Phase 3 either, I don't believe. Yeah. So it's very difficult to say, But I'm trying not to predict too much in the future and pin too many hopes on that future predictions because that does not go well. We're not well, good at that as humans.
0: For me, it's one of those situations where it's... To me, I look at Phase 2 one, and I say it's far enough away from the prequels where you don't have to connect things, but close enough to the prequels that you can. You can start mm. to see, uh, I bet you this is where the the whole structure and dogma is going to come from, and this is where following the rules and, and the order and that going above what the Force is trying to do uh, could grow out of. And so it's cool to have those connections, but to be far enough back that you don't necessarily need them for the story to work. And so I kind of wonder if that's part of what they're doing with Phase 2 to a certain extent, is going far enough back where they have the freedom to tell these stories, but also they're going to be providing... Very important information for, you know, what happened in those original books, you know, very yeah. much um, in, a, in a very Star Wars, Star Wars way. So uh, <laughs> what's your uh, number three best? My number three is my book. And
1: OK, right, right.
0: It is my favorite book of the High Republic thus far. Test of Courage. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Surprising.
0: Uh, I absolutely love this book. It is great and criminally underrated. And it does everything that a good Star Wars story should do. It has characters that you care about collectively and individually, which I don't feel like all parts of the High Republic were able to do uh, as much as they wanted to. Hmm. It is its pace is... Somehow both faster and more intense, mixed with moments where you get to just sit and breathe with the characters. That's very Star Wars. It has a lot to say about the Force and our relation to it, uh, both collectively and individually. And the last two chapters are essentially a manifesto on what a Jedi is supposed to be uh it's just absolutely excellent in every aspect i mean i've got some quotes pulled up here a jedi is supposed to understand that hate and anger are too destructive to be nursed for long i forgot that and it led me to make some terrible decisions that's mm. i love that um then Imri, the the young apprentice says uh I'll have to go back and spend some time at the temple, repeat some of my trainings, but I don't know if I want to do that either. I don't know if I'm cut out to be a Jedi. And then Avon, uh, who is not a Jedi, she goes, when I arrived at Port Haley, no one worked harder to make me feel welcome than you. You're a good person, Imri. The Jedi are lucky to have you. Like mm. That aspect of making the lives of other people better uh, is, is really powerful. And This one quote could be like this is up for me in the pantheon of um, the the light and dark uh, mantra from Dooku Jedi Lost from, uh, you know, I'm one with the force. The force is with me from Rogue One like this hits for me. The force is not so simple and neither are emotions of living creatures. Most Jedi have felt the temptation of the dark side. It's only natural, but we would resist it. It is a deliberate path to the dark, not a series of bad days. Being a Jedi <laughs> is choosing the light over and over again. Hmm. He, Emery was able to find his way back to the light. You are. F- and then he's talking to Vernestra, and he. This is Skir talking to Vernestra. He says, Imru is able to find his way back to the light with your help, Vernestra, only yours. You are a fully accomplished Jedi Knight and have a pa- having a Padawan is something you will be expected to do, so why not now? And it's like that expectation is a gift to her as a knight in a way, whereas it's a burden for Obi-Wan. And so you you get to see how different the jedi are in this time period how supportive they are over one another um and you get to see it through you get to see some really uh, mature adult like ideas and struggles through the lens of a kid's book that makes it so simple and it's just like this this is star wars And, I I love everything about it. And uh, I worship at the altar of of Justina, Ireland forevermore because (laughs) it just it absolutely hits for me. And nice. Yeah. So um,
1: I feel like I've heard you talk about Test of Courage before, but it has been a while. So I'm glad that you got that out.
0: Yeah, it was it was fun to go back. I'm like, I I know I love that book and I know it was the end part that was uh, really what brought it home for me. And so I wanted to pull some of those quotes and it was like, man, this really is everything I want a Star Wars book to be. It was right there. So it was a lot
1: of fun. All
0: right. Let's go to your number two.
1: Number two. You remember like that one time at band camp, I was going to say 20 minutes ago, Uh um, where we were talking about how there's a lack of merchandising out for the High Republic. Mm -hmm. I would like to celebrate the fact that there is an art of the High Republic book coming out in just a few weeks. And I think that's fantastic that it's, the High Republic is going to be getting some of the supplemental materials support that other Star Wars projects have gotten in spades. The, the art of book is going to be great. There's a book just on like a coffee table book style thing for their, all the lightsabers mm-hmm. for the characters. That's going to be really cool. Which looks cool. phenomenal. You know, the High Republic events are going to get folded into the timeline of the Galaxy book that's coming out soon as well. There's a lot of things that they're not letting us forget that it's there, you know, like it's not just kind of coming out and then never being mentioned again. Like, I feel like this is going to be a constant part of the entire saga as a whole. And I like that we're getting the supplemental material that supports that. We'll be getting... and this, the art of a book was a really big milestone for me because we get that for movies and we get that for video games, and that's kind of it. So to have something like that come out that's strictly for a reading media is really interesting to me. So will it be a lot of comic reprints? Yeah, maybe, probably. Is it going to be a lot of the concept art that we saw get released with you know the character one sheet posters? Those were fine. Let's get more of that. And what I'd like to be able to see is the development of these characters over time. Like, what did it look like when somebody first drew Bariaga? And then how did that character evolve through the development process? Like, that would be fun to actually see. So, I like that it's getting... I hope we get more. I hope we get, like, a phase one kind of unofficial guide to thing. Ooh, and that then we would be get cool. Support for Phase Two, where it's kind of like here's the connections from one to two. Here's you know the philosophy of the government as it evolved over the years and whatnot. You know, we go from an era of two chancellors to one. That's a pretty fundamental shift. So I'd like to see that kind of discussed and 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 dived into. And that kind of supplemental material is starting, and I hope it doesn't stop. Like, I hope that once we get through, even when we get through phase three, there are still times when a new book or a new story comes out in this time period, and then we get the stuff behind it. Like, we get a lot of stuff in the prequel areas. We get a lot of stuff in between, you know, kind of that rise of the um reigning of the Empire, rise of the Rebellion era, and and we've got a lot of stuff. Well, a lot of stuff is a stretch. We're getting more during the rise of the New Republic era. And I hope that the High Republic era is another one where, you know, another playground where we get to play every so often.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, and I would love like visual dictionaries and stuff like exactly. reference guides that because,
1: you know, incredible cross sections of Starlight Beacon. <laughs>
0: that sh- honestly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm That'd not cool. a shit person, but I would I would spend some time looking at that, and just seeing all the different things that Starlight Beacon has. There's
1: like I was looking at I was at a bookstore the other day that had the complete the owner's manual guide to the Millennium Falcon. Like you know they they do in the real world they have the complete owner's manual for I don't know your 1989 Buick Dodge Dynasty something like that I don't know. But they have it for, like, the Millennium Falcon. And then there's one for the Death Star. There's an owner's manual for the Death Star.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why can't I have one for Starlight Beacon? Come on. I mean, it only makes sense.
1: Right. All right. I think we could get there.
0: So my number two uh, is probably going to be a surprise to nobody who listens to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, is my character, Vernestra Rowe. I Mm -hmm. absolutely love her. She is a completely new kind of jedi because we have seen young jedi before that are extremely skilled but we've have never seen a jedi knight who was knighted in their teens um she's still so young and developing and yet has the responsibility of adulthood thrust upon her because of that ability and to me, she is she is Anakin if he was level headed. Like he could yeah, have been a, a I see that. It could have been a knight when he was really young, but he was just too brash. But then again, she also shows how the Jedi had come to like limit their Padawans because they were stuck in this rigid process rather than allowing the Force to work. Like Vernestra questions whether she's ready to be. A knight, and then later to be a master to uh, a, someone who is essentially the same age as her. And it's through the masters, it's through the Force and her faith in it and the Jedi's ability to be more fluid and reactive in a positive way during this time period that allows her to, to take on that mantle. And so mm. that gets to really the core of what makes me love Vernestra. And it is that her faith in the force is simultaneously rock solid and yet unsteady, uh, which is how I think it should be. So what I mean by that is she trusts the force. Like she period end of story (laughs) when she's making her lightsaber whip, when she's called to be Emory's master, like she trusts that even if she doesn't understand it, the force is working through her and that what she is being a part of because it follows her morals and her beliefs. And she believes in the order, the Jedi order and everything like this is going to turn out well, because I'm going to have my faith that this path that has been laid is the path that I should follow. But at the same time, she questions what the Force is doing. She spends a lot of time dealing with whether she's ready to be a master. She wonders if her visions, like most of her storyline in Test of Courage, the first like third of Test of Courage, is her questioning whether she should make this lightsaber whip, whether it's wrong or if she's misinterpreting uh, these dreams that she's having. She later struggles with her hyperspace visions and doesn't want them but then has to learn that she needs them because while she's trying to push them off as like they're the, the dark side, essentially, it's really just the force working. And she has she has to say, okay, well, if I'm going to have faith in this and I'm going to say I'm going to follow this, am I going to do it just when it's convenient? Or am I going to do it no matter what uh, is presented before me? And she chooses the latter. And so that tension of... Rock solid faith that questions itself and always feels like it's a little bit on unsteady ground, so that you're always checking your surroundings and making sure you know where you're stepping is balance to me, mm. uh, and so that's that really makes her everything I want a Jedi to be, and uh, interesting. I I, I honestly. <laughs> Of course, Brandon's going to bring up Ahsoka. Buckle up, everybody. But
1: no. Take a drink.
0: Uh, right? Um, no. The line uh, that the Martez sisters say to her, uh, to Ahsoka at the end of um, season seven, that, that Martez sisters arc, where they say, you essentially, you might not be a Jedi, but you're what a Jedi should be. That is Vernestra. Like... She's not what I ever would expect a Jedi to look like, to be like, you know, at at that age, like to be at that level of maturity and have that much depth to them, um, and to get it out of a character in a middle grade novel, like she is what a Jedi should be, and so I uh, I'm glad we got her, we got her across a lot of different mediums and stuff too, which was cool. So
1: yeah, she's a lot. In yeah,
0: great character. Thank you, Justina Ireland, for. For making her.
1: Do you think, and has she talked about those kind of parallels to Anakin's journey?
0: Uh, to I haven't heard anything directly, but I also don't keep up with it enough in that aspect of where I'm like listening to every little thing that comes out about High Republic. So, oh, come on now. I mean, I'm listening to the majority of it, but you know, they do interviews <laughs> across multiple they do a lot. platforms and stuff like that. I'm not it I don't have notifications on anytime, you know, one of the authors does a <laughs> does an interview, but I do, you know, I keep up with the basic plans. So, I don't know. Here, here's an idea. Let's have Justina Ireland on the show. and just. I was just her.
1: about to say, it's. Uh, I don't think we've had her on the show yet, have we? We, we
0: have not. That would be really cool. Well, they, now is the time. There's no time like the present. And there is no time like the present to send it to you for your number one.
1: Well, there's a lot of things we could have gone with, right? There's a lot of... We could have talked about how neat the Drengar are. Oh, Yeah we could have talked about how we think that they're going to show up in phase three because the last time we saw them, there were little tiny seeds of them planted inside starlight beacon by the Nihil. hill. That was interesting. So we kind of, we could see them be birthed from the ruins of, of, uh, that once great and glorious palace in the sky. Uh, we could talk about the Nihil hill themselves and how they're uh, fair, mostly kind of sort of interesting set of space Vikings. I mean, they're not my particular favorite thing, but Hey, you know, to each his own. um, but it's really hard to overlook and this is kind of going to go back to you're talking about in your least favorite things how you kind of had to track people from different things like books into comics to really understand i like and i think what i would appreciate the most is the opportunities people have readers have to find an interesting character that they can latch onto and enjoy and then enjoy them in a different ways now i do i wish that the entirety of their arc could be contained in such a way that when they appear outside of that material, it's more cameo ish or it's like on their day off, you know, like I can imagine a bunch of the Padawans running through starlight beacon and they run into, you know, the Marshal while she's on her day off and she's just got her headphones on bebopping along. That would be cool. I like that. There's opportunities to see those characters across the different entries um, and there are so many of them that there is somebody for everybody to love. Mm-hmm. I think there are enough different characters, and there's so much different representation going on that it is easier, I think, from what i from what I've seen in response to characters, it is easier to find someone like you in this group of people than it ever has been in Star Wars. And I think that's it's absolutely on purpose. We know that a diverse set of characters in every way, shape, and form was a prerequisite for all of the authors when they started it. We know that they were going to have people of different orientations and of different backgrounds and different skill levels. They're going to have people you like and you didn't like, people like you, people who were not like you, and force you to get to know someone not like yourself. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had that really before. You know, we think about like, I can I can distinctly remember the the disappointment when Jedi Fallen Order was first announced, and it turned out that the protagonist was going to be just another white dude. Like the audible sigh of like, we can't even choose to be a different character. This is who we are in 2020. <laughs> like, yeah, really, 2019. Like, we we've come so far, and we're still going to be played by uh, you know a redhead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and like. You know, you're talking about how we get to relate to these characters of, like, and there's someone we can relate to in every way, shape, and form. Like, that's that's not shorthand for, you know, talking about skin color like it's used a lot of the time. No. That's literally every way, shape, and form. So, like... For example, I have a service dog, right? So Belle's relationship with Ember is something that really hits for me because my mm. dog goes everywhere with me and supports me and everything, and I'm able to trust him. And so, like, to see that in a, a novel kind of yeah. blew me away. And so, yeah, no, I, I, and like, that's about me. I can only imagine what it's like for. People who have much more going on. People who have never seen themselves in Star Wars, never seen themselves as Jedi, like it—it it, it hits on so many levels, and that is a, a great strength of it. Like that's it part really of is. the reason that you have so many characters. And I and I talked about not wanting as, or having too many characters, but like this is the flip side that I also believe in, and that's what makes yes.
1: talking about this so hard. I, I completely and understand. It. And that's, that, that's what I, that was kind of why I wanted to hold off when we were talking about it before, because I think inherent in having so many different characters, if they were much more the same, if they were so much more monochromatic, it would be easier for you to keep track of who is who and doing what. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't need a spreadsheet. You wouldn't need a chart. You wouldn't need a, you know, a four foot by three foot board that you could pin pictures to. Like, but having that level, I mean, there really is no other word than diversity that you can apply to it, um, is not just like a cheap and easy plug. Like it demonstrates something about the state of the galaxy at the time. because when we fast forward to the fall of the Republic and the rise of the empire, it is helmed by what? the white guys. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is a, a a an explicitly xenophobic organization where the non-humans were considered less than and incapable of handling what the empire wanted them to do. So they were they were barely considered sentient. You know, we think about like the wookiee culture was completely enslaved and and used to build their technological terrors. And so but when we compare that to the wookies we have in the high republic, I mean it's like everybody else. They have their natural strengths and their talents and their gifts, and they are encouraged and pushed to use them for the good of the rest of the galaxy. So I feel like because it was such an intentional decision and it is a storytelling device, like it, it, it does no wrong. Yeah. Like, I mean, and and I'm, and I'm shocked at how, I'm, I'm surprised at how well that works, you know, like it could be done in a way that feels cheap, It could be done in a way that feels, um, like I I don't want to say forced or not earned because those don't make any sense in this kind of a discussion. But it could be used as like a token.
0: Yeah, it could be. It could feel like placating.
1: Right. Exactly. It could be like, oh, we we have to meet a certain quota of characters who don't have straight relationships. So therefore, we're going to have you know this, this, that, and that, and that's it. But it doesn't feel like that. This feels so much more of a galaxy where. And I am not the best person to speak to this, but it stands out to me in such a way that um, that it really is probably the greatest strength. If we if we think about the strengths of the High Republic, and we think about how well it seems to have been planned out, this is a natural result of that, and that's a great thing. And I think we should we should make mention of that and how we the community can be so interwoven with the characters that they appreciate and, and identify with and and then it allows us to converse with somebody else and say oh okay i understand why you like this person better if that tells me something about you yeah like my favorite character in the entire saga has a spiritual relationship that is manifested in music that can tell you something about me <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
1: so and and me again, we've talked about this before. How you and I, as both m- middle class, heterosexual, cisgendered white males, are not the right spokesperson for this. But man, is it awesome to see or what?
0: <laughs> oh, no, it absolutely is. Like, I think you know, we you and I we we root for for this, right? Like, yeah we, we want this uh we both because
1: we know what it means to people right like, and and we both so much
0: even though we are the stere- you know like you said kind of stereotypical like protagonist you know of of stories like w- you and i have have been and i know a lot of our listeners do the same thing have been intentional about going and meeting other people and understanding other communities and stuff like that and this just allows for that even more it allows for those conversations to happen within a community that you are already in instead of having to try to go find it which is going to cause that change uh you know to happen faster Mm when when the ideas are, are meet you where you're already at and you don't have to be uh, taught or, you know, trained of how to go find people who are different than you to to go work with and learn from and stuff like that. Because, you know, the world is, is really different and we're all exposed Turns to- Turns out. Yeah. It, when we're exposed to so many different kinds of people via the internet, but we also end up in echo chambers on the internet. And so being able to have a piece of like, Star Wars content that people are going to be talking about uh, whether they look like you or not. And it's going to be about all these different kinds of people. And so you can literally, like you were saying, have a conversation with anybody about it and you learn about them as a person and as a Star Wars fan. And you learn about this, like it's everything hits and
1: Mm -hmm.
0: all of this comes from having a diverse writer's room. Like they all these different writers have their own experiences and views. They bring this to their interpretation of the force and how they write the characters and how they write the characters interpreting the force and relating to each other and all of these different things. And so that allows you to do a couple things. One, you have organic, uh, you know, relatable content for different communities coming out because it's like you said, it's not forced. It's not somebody else trying to write it to placate to, look, we, we we have an LGBTQ character in here. It's, you know, somebody who's in that community writing the story or, oh, we have, a, a, you know, a person of color in the book. It's like, no, Justina Ireland and uh, Daniel Jose Older and stuff are like, uh, they're bringing in some more. Zoraida Cordova, like they're bringing in, People of color to write stories for these characters of people for, of color, like it's like that seems like how it should just be,
1: but they're it just seems doing too it. easy. Why have we been so bad at this for so right? long? You know, right?
0: <laughs> it, it really, really does. And so I'm actually gonna say because my number one was the myriad of uh of views that we get on the force, um, but I think that that is. <sighs> I think that's encompassed in what you're saying. So I'm changing my number one nice. on the spot.
1: Well, we kind of talked about like, cause you're talking, uh, were you thinking about like specifically that, that chapter, that favorite chapter of mine from light of the Jedi? Um, By any no. chance?
0: yes, yes. And no, <laughs> yes, I was where you get how different people hear it differently, but I more meant, um, just throughout all of the books, you get a bunch of different interpretations of how Jedi relate to the force. Um, yeah. And how the force works, and and the role that it plays in the life of a Jedi and the life of the galaxy and stuff. Um, but I love that chapter. It, it's, it's so good. It's so good. And and you get, but again, you get all of that. You get the ability to tell those kinds of stories when you have different people coming together that are able to bring together different ideas, and you also have created an environment for them to be successful, um, which it's very clear in the planning of this project that the focus was on setting these authors up for success to let them do what they do best and not let any of the other noise in. And that is really, really powerful. And you can see the care that these authors have for these stories. Like, it's not... This is not and, and this is not a knock on JJ Abrams but this is not JJ Abrams coming to make the Force Awakens because he has already he's he's done a whole lot of stuff and this is Star Wars is going to be one thing on his uh resume, right? And these authors have all, you know, done great things on their own, but they're looking the The impression that I get from the way that they present themselves is they want this to be the top thing on their resume. Like, I was a part mm. of this. And they all seem invested in that purpose. And I think that's what happens when you bring together these different views and and you put them in a situation where you take away everything except for the writing and the story. Like, they're not overextending them with, oh, we've got to have all these promotional interviews and everything like that. Like, they they do those, but they that all comes after the writing. And so the, the writers are able to do what they do best, and we see the results of it uh, yep. in the stories. So I absolutely love it. Well, that is it, guys. That is our list, <laughs> our best and butts of High Republic Phase 1. And I really enjoyed this. So I think... Maybe Good. we'll have to to redo this with uh, phase two if we enjoy it as much. So far, uh, I've read mm, part we'll, of yeah, we'll see. Uh, I've read part of Convergence um, and part of Path of Deceit, and am enjoying both of them. Um, so, it seems like things are going in the right direction. And uh, we will be happy uh, to cover that here on the Clashing Sabers Network. Of course, if you want to hear us break down the individual books, you can go over and uh, listen to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, where mm-hmm. we talk specifically about those. And that's available right in the same feed uh, that you have have found this show here, along with Forever Star Wars, Sith Talk, and so much more. So if, uh, if you are a fan of uh, helping kids get books and particularly star wars books uh including some high republic ones uh join our patreon and you can support our literacy initiative to put uh more star wars books into classrooms across the country we are uh working up on our fundraiser for the year or the beginning of next year there will be some high republic uh involvement there so stay tuned for more of that you of course can find all of the links uh available right in the show notes on whatever platform you are listening to so drew any uh anything to update the listeners on before we head out of here
1: hmm um you can find me on twitter at the drew brett and uh, f- let's keep an eye on our visions, Vens Day tasks, and I it's going to be hopefully bringing that bringing that up so that it doesn't leave the uh, public eye. Um, we've got the dual one shot comic that just came out recently, which is pretty good, and some interesting ties. Which um, it's possible I haven't quite figured it out yet, but it's really Star Wars canon. I haven't figured out how that works yet, but I think it's true.
0: Say that last part again. You cut out for a minute.
1: It's possible that the Afro Samurai is actually Star Wars canon. I don't know how, but I think it's true. Okay.
0: Well, you I guess. You have no idea what I'm so talking about, dude. We you? will stay. No, I do. I just. I, I no, you didn't. <laughs> trying to connect those dots is not working very well for me at this late. Ah, it's been a
1: long night. You played has. a long game today.
0: <laughs> well, we will be back next time. Uh but just remember, you know, as much as we we do love the high republic and the people coming in together and all of that stuff, the teamwork that we have nothing will ever beat the team that is Batch 8.
1: Taylor Swift's
0: Midnights. You know, you had to you had to say it correctly. Nope. I'm going to let you have this one because I you <laughs> did a really good job about not talking about Avar, Chris. But. Yeah, thank you.